Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Can people really understand? I mean, unchurched people really understand what you're saying when you share the great good news of Jesus Christ? Welcome to episode eight about broken bridges. We're in a series about 12 broken bridges and how God has provided new pathways to restore spiritual vitality to you and to your church. We're reminded that God's pathway is the pathway to heaven. That pathway is Jesus Christ, the Savior. We recognize that God's bridge to introduce Jesus to people is the local church, people like you and me. But as we've looked with thousands of churches, we've worked with thousands of churches, and we have learned so much about congregations, we have discovered that there is, not in all churches, but many churches, a broken bridge. So broken bridge number eight is foreign language. It's a little sensitive, but very, very important. So let's begin and think about, go back 50 years. Ask anyone 50 years ago, what is a cell phone? And you know what the answer you'll get? Well, it's a phone that's installed for someone in jail, <laughs> in a cell. <laughs> Nobody knew what a cell phone was just 50 years ago. What's the point? The point is language constantly changes. The world we live in is a world of languages, and those languages are not static. In fact, the words we use are constantly changing, not just new words coming along, but old words that are falling off common use. And today, with technology, this change is happening more rapidly than ever before. So, let's get personal. What version of the Bible is your favorite? <laughs> well, what would a missionary say? How would a missionary answer that? Hey, missionary. What's your favorite Bible translation? And how would that missionary answer? Well, if they're a good missionary, they would say, oh, my favorite version? The next one. <laughs> Why? Because language is alive and it's always changing. So if you are a missionary, if you are mission-minded, you want to reach unchurched people then there are two concepts that you need to know that they teach missionaries, and these two concepts are really important. Number one, the more mature Christian, the one that's more mature, always subordinates his or her preferences to the one they are trying to reach, as long as it doesn't violate Scripture. So if it's not against Scripture, you might have preferences for whatever, and you diminish those, you subordinate those for the sake of reaching the one who's not a Christian, as long as it isn't in conflict with Scripture. Just as an example of this, years ago, my wife and I lived in Australia, and on the way there, we stopped on the island of Suva, which is part of the Fiji Island group. And while we were there, we went into this village. It was a really quaint, picturesque setting. This village was on the white sands of the beach there on that island looking over the just brilliant blue water. And these grass huts were up on stilts. Obviously, there were occasions when storms would bring the water from the ocean up into their village. 
So they had their houses built on stilts, and they were rough sawn lumber as a frame, and then they had palm branches for their roofs. And so my wife Janet and I decided that we would just walk in that village and see what would happen. And as we did, the little children that were playing all over the village started to come. And they noticed, of course, that we looked different than anybody else in that village and uh, most of the people on uh, Fiji Island as well. And so they started coming and following us. And one little kid took my hand which I thought was really interesting. And his sister took my wife's hand and they knew a little bit of English that they had learned in school. And they spoke to us and and said, come to where I live. And so they took us to one of these huts. We climbed up the steps and went into the little hut. There we met a couple, a man and his wife, who were Methodist Sunday school teachers, (laughs) of all things. Isn't that amazing? Missionaries had reached them. We had a really nice talk with them sitting on the floor. My wife was interested to watch a mouse uh, moving across one of the side beams on the wall behind the couple, uh, which must have been normal for them because when they saw it, they didn't do anything about it. My wife doesn't like mice, so that was an interesting situation. We were subordinating our comfort for the sake of being missionaries, or being friendly anyway friendly Christians. And so anyway, they asked us if we would like something to eat. And I thought, wow, these people have nothing and they want to share something with us. So they shared with us one of their most prized possession foods, and that was a cold potato. So uh, not my favorite thing to eat, but that's what you do when you're a missionary. You subordinate your comfort and your preferences for the sake of those you're trying to reach. Those who are Uh, Well, we were on their turf. We were on their turf. And so we were the foreign missionaries trying to be friendly with the people in this village. And I'll never forget it. I hope you never do either because there are so many things in our churches that we do that are absolutely obnoxious for the mission effort. So that's number one in the principles and the concepts is to always subordinate your preferences for the people you're trying to reach as long as they don't conflict with Scripture. Number two principle is speak the heart language of those you are trying to reach. That would be the language people dream in and the language people make love in. So can you imagine, since we sometimes get into churches more often than I wish, that continue to perpetuate old English words. Can you imagine a young couple today in our country, or for that matter, even in England, a young couple, husband and wife, in bed in the most intimate situation, under the covers, loving each other tenderly, and one says to the other, I love thou. It sounds absurd, and that would certainly put a cold water on the mood. That's for sure. Well, it's strange, it's odd, because God loves people intimately, and he wants people to be reached, to know him and know his love. And we perpetuate stuff that just doesn't fit in the language patterns of our world today. And so it's just amazing. And this hasn't been just recently. This has been going on for a long time. When I was a little kid, 
I was uh, in a Christmas service. They had a bunch of us from the Sunday school that were like shepherds, and they had a manger at the front of the church, and it was part of the, the Christmas Eve service. And of course, that brought out all the grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles and all these people, many of whom would not be in church even on Christmas Eve, except they were there to see the little kids. But they were going to hear the pastor's message as well. And they were going to see people worshiping God as well. And they were going to be hearing people praise God with their songs as well. So here I was all dressed up as a shepherd during this Christmas service. And we were trained and had practice ready to sing the wonderful feel-good song from who knows when, Away in a Manger. Now, there's a verse in that song that I want to remind you about. If you've been a Christian most of your life, you might remember this. But there's a verse in that song that says something about Jesus waking up. He was sleeping and he woke up as a baby in the manger. It goes like this. The cattle were lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. You can sing along in your brain. Yep. If you're a longtime Christian, you know those words. What the heck does lowing mean? The cattle are lowing. Honest to goodness, I must have been, even at that early age, called to work with churches and try to help them get with the program to get Jesus to people. Because even at that little age, that young age that I was, I asked my mom, how could short cows wake up Jesus? Lowing must have been short, right? Well, actually, if you go back to old, old, old ancient English, the word lowing means mooing. But you know what? I've asked crowds of people who sing that every Christmas. I've asked people in churches about that. Ask how many people know what that means, that they sing those words. Do they have any meaning? Do they have any impact? And maybe if there are 50 people in the room, Two out of 50 might raise their hand and say, yeah, I know what that means. Don't ask me how. They must be Shakespeare geeks or something. I don't know. But here's the tragedy. My uncle, George, came to that worship service basically for two reasons. One, to see me, and maybe even more important, right after the service, my parents were having a Christmas party for Christmas Eve. And my uncle was not attending church showed little sign of being Christian, not judging him, just saying that it appeared by his lack of worship and Bible reading and language and many other things that he was not yet a believer in Jesus. So he's there on one of the celebrated Christian holidays, Christmas Eve, and what does the church do? Well, they pull out the feel-good songs, even in the contemporary service, the feel-good songs that brings us back to those warm memories of when we were kids. Are you kidding me? Is that subordinating your preferences for the sake of lost people? And especially those times of the year when if anybody's going to come to church or be invited to church, they're going to show up? Are you kidding me? You know, so many Christians perpetuate languages from another century. To new Christians, it sounds like a cult from another planet, or at least from another century. It's what we call Amish Christianity. 
except we don't ride buggies to church. At least the Amish are consistent. You see, Christmas, of all things, is about Jesus showing up in the flesh. And that's a tremendous sign, the sign of all signs, to show how important communication, connection, is to God himself. I mean, the willingness for God to become a human being in a manger, in a barn, come on, that's a lot different than heaven. Willingness to subordinate? Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Everything we know about Jesus is about his willingness to give up so people can go up to him. Just think about how different life was for Jesus, the Son of God, moving from heaven. Whatever it's like, it has got to be awesome. It's just beyond description. Great. From heaven to a manger, from a manger to a hideous cross, there's a lesson there. And we just got to stop this. So if you and your church require people to learn Old English, to become Christians, then you've got a serious, serious issue. And in mission terms, it's called a creator complex. You are trying to make people over in your own image. I think that's a sin against the first commandment. And if you're upset, I'm glad. Now, you got to be gentle about how you make changes, but for heaven's sake, literally for heaven's sake, no, you're not trying to make people over in your own image. You're trying to make people, by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, into the image of Christ. And the image of Christ is one who came as a servant. So here's an exercise that you can do. Think of someone you know who has never been a Christian. They just aren't churchgoers. They just don't show any signs of faith. Now, they might have Jesus in their heart, and they may read the Bible privately, but think about someone you know in your social network who is functionally unchurched, okay? And then let them look at your church bulletin from cover to cover, or your church newsletter, or the hymnal that sits in the pews, if you have pews, if you have hymnals, and then ask them, as they look at one of those items, how many words do you not understand? How many words feel foreign to you and you're not quite sure what they mean? And then if you want to go to another level, think about preaching and teaching and all the words that we use. Think about the wonderful parable, the awesome teaching of the story of the woman who's a widow and the widow's might. What in the world is a might? A mite is a bug. Does this widow have a bug that she searched all over the house for a bug? Are you kidding me? Why is it so hard to recognize that in Old English, the mite was the very smallest piece of change? Is it really that hard to talk about the widow's penny because she was penniless and that was really important to her? What about at Easter? I can't believe how many churches I go to at Easter time. And right away, in a lot of churches, I know what's coming. The pastor or somebody up front is going to say, he is risen. And everybody else is supposed to say, he is risen indeed. It's sort of an old habit of some kind. And it gets my goat because I'll tell you what, if a visitor is there another day when visitors show up, by the way, they don't know what that's all about. And so everybody that knows responds to that. And already we're saying, yeah, you're an outsider. Yep. And you look like it because you didn't follow the mantra. 
How foolish. On Easter, a time when people, if they're going to visit church, they're going to be there. And besides that, what's the proper English of he is risen? He isn't risen. He is Jesus. He is Jesus. He has risen. He is alive. Why don't we just say he's alive? I mean, we're stuck in patterns that are so familiar, we don't realize that they become foreign. We are out of touch. We are losing people because we perpetuate stuff that doesn't communicate. Even Palm Sunday, we talk about hallelujah. Um, How about changing that to hooray for God or hooray for the Lord? Or what about the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven. Who in the world is art? It's a foreign language. And about the time you get this, you better just think about it some more because about the time you really get this, Language will change again. New words will come about with new meaning because language is alive and it's constantly changing and you got to be on your toes. You got to be a missionary all the way through from your gut to your mouth to your brain. If you want to reach people for Jesus, then start acting like it. Can you, can your church subordinate your preferences and use words that would better impact unbelievers? That's the bottom line. And then there's all the other stuff around so many churches, like pews. Like, I haven't seen a stadium for football, basketball, hockey, soccer. I haven't seen a stadium for anything or an amphitheater or anything that is built nowadays with pews. I mean, hello, we've made some new ways to seat people. You know, they actually have improved seating. What about clergy? dressed up in religious garb at the front of the church. How wonderful to see a pastor in a dress. And what about these dog collars they wear? I mean, you go to some of these churches and you think, what are you thinking? Are you elevating yourself? Are you trying to make yourself different? Because Jesus didn't do that. He didn't show up in a three-piece suit and go around Jerusalem in a tuxedo. He wore what people wore. There's a message there. That's not just a closed preference. That's a message. What you wear sends a message. Is it the message you want to share? What about your building? Here's a huge issue for churches. Churches have been around for years. They were built maybe a long, long time ago, and they already were old when the first day they opened because they were patterned after some time in ancient history, like back in the 1600s. In the 16th century, they were built in a pattern in Europe, another part of the world. So it's foreign, foreign, foreign to today, foreign to our culture, our country, as foreign as you can get. You're stuck with this old building and everybody treats it like an idol. I'm sorry to say that, but it's true and you know it. Because if you don't want to tear it down, you don't want to leave it, then it's an idol, even though it's obsolete and it is a barrier to reach unchurched people. It is foreign. So do you remember the years? They're past now praise God, where churches had fierce arguments among the people about whether or not we should put a screen in the church so people could follow along rather than having to look down at music or words to music, either in a printed sheet or in a hymnal. Like nobody ever looks at screens nowadays? Really? Like we don't want to make the most of the precious words communicated in the best way possible, the Word of God. We don't want to do the very best with the medium so the message gets through. 
I want to suggest something. Look at some churches that are growing in your area, and there are some in every area. Yeah, drop your offering off at church and visit a church that you know is just growing by leaps and bounds. Now, admittedly, some of these churches are getting people from your church. Your people, in spite of their loyalty and their longevity in your church, are leaving for some reason. And it's usually not because they don't like the pastor. I know that used to be an issue, but now the issues are much greater. Not just personal about what the preacher says and, or what the preacher did or whatever. But there are many, many other issues. Communication issues, style issues, facility issues. All sorts of things that what happens is one of their friends says, Hey, you ought to try our church sometime. It's wonderful. And so they say, yeah, okay, we'll come to your church. We'll meet you and we'll visit and we'll go out to dinner or whatever. And they do that and they say, wow, you know what? We need to come back here and that's the end of it. However, that's not all the reason these churches are growing because they are reaching some unchurched people as well. You can't deny it. It's true. We know it. We've done the research. So when you visit one of these churches that are growing, Take a look around and ask yourself, how do the leaders up front dress? What is the music like? How do they communicate the message of God? What kind of words do they use? Ask yourself what Jesus looked like and how Jesus acted when he walked this earth. And ask yourself, is that what they're doing? You see, at the end of the day, do you really still think that the old European way works best? Do you really want to hinder or disrupt the purpose for which Jesus came, lived, died, and the purpose he gave to the church and commissioned us to do it to the best of our ability, throwing no roadblocks in the way of people who need Jesus or they're going to die and not go to heaven. I get it. Change is difficult. Change is really hard. It does not come naturally, but it can come supernaturally. And if you want to know how much you can change and how to do it, ask the expert, Jesus. He became God in human clothes so people would get it. That is the most dramatic change in the history of this world. And there's been a lot of change and there'll continue to be change. But nobody tops Jesus. He did it at a level that no human being can even get close to. We can't even fathom that God himself would come down and get dirty feet walking the dusty trails of Israel, that he would be ridiculed, that he would be crucified, that he would dress like the people he came to reach, that he would speak the language that the people spoke. He would eat the food, go to the weddings, touch the lepers, do all kinds of things that are uncomfortable for the Son of God. So what is God saying to you? What are you willing to do as you read the scriptures about reaching out to the unchurched? What is God saying to you? And what on earth are you going to do about it? It's a tough one. Well, in our next episode, we're going to take a look at Broken Bridge of Consumer Christians, not totally unrelated to the subject, the tough subject we just covered. Until then, I beg you, pray, search your heart, 
Search your Bible for God's pathway around your broken bridges. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.